Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Life Beyond Business Podcast, or if this is your first episode, welcome, I'm so glad you're here. I'm your host, Maya Palmer, and today Jessica Stansberry is on the show, and I feel like I say this every single episode, but I literally am so excited that she's on the show. Doing this podcast has been so cool because I've been able to talk to people who I've followed online for years, and so it's so much fun to sit down and chat with these awesome business leaders. Today, Jessica and I are talking about how she pivoted from being a service provider to being in the education space. and what she's been learning and teaching about passive income and how you can incorporate more passive income into your business as a service provider. If you've ever consumed any of her content before, you might know that this is something she's really passionate about and she has a lot of really awesome thoughts to share. And she's also someone who I think is really gifted at knowing how to problem solve in her business. So she'll talk about that too. And I hope you'll enjoy that. I know I learned a lot. In case you're meeting Jessica for the first time, let me go ahead and share her bio with you. Jessica Stansberry helps women who are fed up with societal norms do life differently and live a life with more freedom by showing them what's possible through her YouTube channel with over 100,000 subscribers, social media, and her programs and products. And so you also hear me say this a lot. Uh, in the episode but she's just a really amazing teacher I've learned a lot from her over the years and I love the way she breaks things down and so I really hope that you'll learn a lot from this episode all right let's go ahead and get into the interview hey y'all I'm Maya Palmer a brand and website designer who empowers nonprofits and small businesses to meet their growth goals and your host for the life beyond business podcast My own questions about genuine community and leadership in the entrepreneur space inspired me to create this podcast so that we can learn together. In our online business world, it's so easy to let comparison, competition, and the daily hustle keep us from truly getting to know each other as real people outside of entrepreneurship. So I'm sharing my experiences and sitting down with leaders I admire to chat about what they're learning in life and how those lessons have impacted their businesses. Here, you'll learn about life and business from a fresh, relatable perspective that typical how-to content doesn't offer. Let's explore how you can lead an intentional life, grow your business, and make a positive impact while you're at it. From lighthearted conversations to opening up about our struggles, each episode honors our unique life experiences. Ready to be inspired? Come join the conversation. I saved you a seat. Hey, Jessica, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I really love your story, and I think the listeners will really relate to it as well because I have a lot of service providers, a lot of designers listening. And so will you just share a little bit of how you got into entrepreneurship and how your business has changed over the years? Sure, yeah. So my business has changed a lot. (laughs) Um, And if you've been following me for a while, you know that. But essentially, I have always been like entrepreneurial. I've always had side hustles. In college, I had side hustles. Mm -hmm. I started a photography business as a side hustle right when I started in corporate. But what happened was (laughs) like the, what really like led me into entrepreneurship was that I had my first son in 2010 Mm -hmm. and I was in a miserable job. I hated my job so much. I was in corporate and I just hated the job. I didn't like the people I worked with. I wasn't treated well, you know, the old story. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, like during that job, while I was pregnant, all I wanted to do was figure out a way to stay at home. Mm-hmm. And because I've always been very side hustly, I was like starting things and like trying to figure it out and never really did. And I actually went back to work 
and had a terrible first day back that like I got yelled at and like Mm -hmm. just all kinds of crazy things happened. And I eventually like two weeks later put in my two week notice and I was gone within a month. And so we couldn't afford for me to just be like a stay at home mom and not do anything. So not that stay at home moms don't do anything because it's a lot of work. Yes. (laughs) But like nobody was paying me to be a stay at home mom, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I couldn't afford to, to just do that. So I leaned on the skills that I had and I started a graphic design company at first. And then I taught myself web design. I had learned a little bit of web design in college, but I really like taught myself web design during this. Started doing that. And I basically had a web and uh, graphic design company for about five years. And then in 2015, I started my first podcast, mm-hmm. um, which at the time was called All Up In Your Lady Business. I have since, we we did that for three years. I did it with a co-host, Jacqueline, and it was a great ride. But we have since like split off and done our own things. And in that time frame, in that 2015, 2016 timeframe, I started getting more into the educational space. Mm-hmm. So I was still doing web design, but I was starting to teach things and teach people how to do things and teach courses and sell digital products. And I've realized that that's really where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. So I kind of shifted out of completely out of web design in 2016 and really went full force in the education space. And that's where I am today. So I started my YouTube channel that year. I started selling courses that year. So everything kind of started happening in 2016. Yeah, I love um, that you really kind of, you know, you wanted to get out of your job. So you found a business that would help you do that. But then at the same time, when you knew web design wasn't for you anymore, you really worked to figure out, okay, how can I make get into the education space? Because that's something I really want to do. Yeah. Because I think sometimes we we have a business doing one thing and we'd like to do something else, but then we kind of get stuck where we don't know how to make that transition. Yeah. The transition was interesting, but also like, I planned out at this mm-hmm. point, I was making, I was probably making like $5,000 a month and mm-hmm. I couldn't go back on that. Like I couldn't make less than that because sure. at this point we had like started to count on that income from me. Right. And so there was no world where I could just be like, Oh, I'll just wait a few months and hopefully everything will, you know, take, <laughs> take off. Um, so I actually started launching courses while I was still providing my service. Mm-hmm. And as I would have a course launch and I would learn things and I would have a next course launch and I would learn things, I would eventually stop taking on as many clients. So if mm-hmm. I was taking on Two a month, I would go to one a month or whatever the scenario was and eventually got to the point where I was like, okay, I can make the same money. I just have to really hustle at these like launches and figuring things out. And that first year that I was solely educational and not doing any one-on-one work, Mm -hmm. it was, it was boots to the ground. Like I think I launched like eight courses that year, which was dumb. I really shouldn't have done that, but I'm like, I just didn't know another way to do it. Like Mm -hmm. for some reason in my head, that made more sense than trying to launch the same course over and over, which probably would have been smarter, but I launched a ton of courses, but I made the money and I actually made, I think like double that year. So Mm -hmm. it was, the transition was interesting, but I definitely did it methodically. Like I didn't, Mm -hmm. I didn't just jump from one thing to another. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's really good advice what you said about, you know, you were still offering your services while you were waiting for the courses to take off. Yeah. Okay. So my next question is, uh, what's one life experience that has shaped you as a leader and what you value today? And it can be anything that you want to share, big or small. Okay. Um, So it would be my experience in corporate, Mm -hmm. for sure, especially the no good, very bad 
experience part yes. <laughs> um, because it really, it really showed me like what I don't want to be mm-hmm. as a leader. Right. And showed me who I do want to be as a leader and how, how my experience would have been so much different with a better leader. Right. Mm-hmm. Or better leaders. I actually had a couple of like terrible, terrible leaders. Mm-hmm. One of them is now CEO of the company that I worked for, which is really interesting. I'm, I'm, and I would love to be a fly on the wall there. Um, <laughs> you know, but so basically, just to kind of long story short it, I, I, I got told multiple, I was the only person in my building with a four year degree. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. And my supervisor, told me multiple times when I would like go ask her questions, I would just be like, Hey, how do you do this? And she would tell me, or I would be like, Oh no, never mind. I remember now. And I would say something like, well, why don't we do it this way or mm-hmm. whatever? Cause I'm a, I'm a naturally very inquisitive person. Like, why don't we do it like this? Yeah. And she would stop me multiple times in my three years there. She would stop me and say, excuse me, just because you have a degree doesn't mean you're smarter than me. Mm. And Things like that, I was yelled at, I was blamed for things, I was told I would never move up in the company. And what is going to incentivize somebody to stay at a company they're never going to move up in? Yeah, that's you what know? I was just thinking. Right, like, what? why would I stay there? Like, I don't know, it was a very interesting experience. And that has really led me, particularly as I start to hire employees, I have one full-time employee and one part-time employee now, and of course, work with contractors still. But really to be the boss I can be and like the best I can be, you know, Mm -hmm. like my team has unlimited time off. I never question them. They're empowered to make decisions. They're empowered to follow their creativity. I check with them and I like bring them in in conversations on, you know, if I'm going to hire a new team member, what they would like to take on or what they would like to do so that they're really happy in their job, you know, and I may not be able to pay. I mean, I I pay well, but I may not be able to pay as good as like, you know, some, some huge company in like Charlotte Mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever, but I'm able to really like, you know, give them incentives and, and give them raises and keep them part of a team and not feeling like they're left out, you know, because that's all I wanted. That's all I wanted in corporate. I was so bored in my job. I was in customer Mm -hmm. service. Oh yeah, that's rough. Oh my God, it was awful. Um, (laughs) I was so bored in my job and so like just creatively squashed, you know, that Mm -hmm. I legitimately volunteered for every, like, um, you know, when they would like form committees or whatever, Mm -hmm. I would volunteer for these committees. I would volunteer to make spreadsheets because at that point I could use my brain. Like I wasn't Mm -hmm. using my brain to do customer service. Like I just wasn't. And they didn't, they didn't like care about that. You know, they didn't care what, the, who would be better suited where, what, and when, or why, or how. They only cared about their bottom line, and I never want to be that person. Yeah, I think, like, when you have bad experiences like that, it'll really show you the leader that you want to be and kind of be the person that you'd wish you had. Um, and I'm sure your team appreciates that. I, I, I hope they do. I think they do. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds rough. And I think it's nice, like, when you have a business, then you have that flexibility to change things or do things the way that you want to, that you won't have incorporate. Yeah. And I mean, I had, I had a bad experience. Like it was just all around bad. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't just the leaders were bad. They were also mean, you know, like it was yeah. just all around bad. My husband, on the other hand, he is currently pursuing his own thing and mm-hmm. doing his own business. And he would have never gotten to that point had he had good leadership either. 
And so his was not a, a bad experience. He actually had very nice leaders. Like mm-hmm. they tried, but they still weren't, it still wasn't where it needed to be. And mm-hmm. he would have not ever been pushed to the point of being like, I should start my own thing, which I'm very thankful for now, but he would have never gotten there if the leaders would have actually been leaders. And so I have really, over the last several years, especially really thought about like what being a leader looks like and what that looks like for me as someone who teaches people too, right? Like how can I be a leader that they, you know, look up to? And yeah, I don't know. I think, I think as with a lot of things in life, you learn and you do better than what you had done to you, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I appreciate you sharing that because I think it is such an important part of having a business, like continuously learning to be a leader and what that means. But I think we kind of dive into the business because we have something we love that we want to do. But then there's all this personal development stuff that goes into it, too. Mm-hmm. I agree. So now I'm going to pivot a little bit. And the reason I wanted to have you on the show is because uh, not only were you a service provider who shifted into the education space, but you talk a lot about passive income. And I think that's something really important to incorporate into your business. And so to start, uh, will you just, like I'm sure everybody's probably heard the term passive income, but will you talk a little bit more about what that actually means for us as business owners? Yeah. So passive is, uh, not, it's not the best word, yeah. but it is, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's gotta be another word, but there's not another word. So that's just what we use. But in my head, the definition of passive income are things that fit two categories. One, you don't have to do much work after the delivery. So most of the work comes up front and then during the delivery, you don't have to do anything after that. So that's where it becomes passive. You do the work up front and then it becomes passive on the sale. And then it also fits the category that it can be sold to many people. Like one thing can be sold to many people. So passive income is not very passive because there is still a lot of work that goes into it. There are some avenues of passive income that are truly passive, like affiliate marketing. Mm-hmm and things like that. But for the most part, for us as business owners, the way we think about passive income, the things we think about, digital products, online courses, sponsorships, like things like that, they're they're not actually passive, but the workload is in the front end and you create something once that can be sold, sold, (laughs) I said sold instead of sold, sold over and over again. So Essentially, online courses are passive, digital products are passive, affiliate marketing is very, very passive income. And then there's, you know, obviously offshoots from there. So like sponsorships on podcasts or, mm-hmm. um, you know, some sponsorships on YouTube, I feel like they're a bit less passive than podcast sponsorships. But overall, passive income, you create it once and can sell it many, many, many times. And there's no work after you create it. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know you were talking about how it's not really passive. One of my uh, business coaches, Elizabeth McCravey, she likes to call it semi-passive income because she's like, you can't just something, well, something, you can't just create it and totally forget about it. But it's like you said, you create it once and you sell it to a lot of people. Exactly. And also, I just have to tell you, I always love the way that you break things down because you make it so clear and simple. (laughs) you. That's actually one of the reasons I got into teaching because Mm -hmm. people kept telling me that. (laughs) Oh, really? Okay. (laughs) Um, Because at the time, Facebook groups were like a really big thing, you know, not Mm -hmm. that they're not now, but they were just kind of starting off. 
And people would ask questions about web design or how to do their website or like something that I was, you know, well-versed in. And mm-hmm. I would answer their question and they'd be like, oh, I've been Googling and I like nothing made sense, but that makes sense. And so I constantly had people tell me that I was good at breaking things down and making them easy to understand. And so that's when I was like, okay, well, maybe I should follow that. <laughs> so yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Like I remember one day I was listening to your podcast and you were talking about marketing positioning. And like, I, I went to school for graphic design, but I took some marketing and business classes on the side. And, you know, some of the textbook stuff sinks in. So like, I knew what you were talking about, but like when you explained it, you like explained everything in five minutes of like how you position a course. And I was like, oh, that makes so much sense now. <laughs> Good. I'm so glad. <laughs> So now that everybody kind of knows the gist of passive income, for a lot of the service providers listening, will you go over kind of how they can get started and like think about their options for what they can create first as passive income? Yeah. So I would say for most service providers, you're going to you're going to want to think about what comes before or after working with you. I think mm-hmm. that's what people miss is they try and replace themselves and then you're going to work yourself out of a job. <laughs> right? yeah. And that's like not what you want to do unless you want to do that. Right. I did True. want to do that. My first course was how to DIY your own website. I wanted to mm-hmm. work myself out of a job. Um, but that's just because I was trying to fully tra- transition. So what you want to think about is like, what is your service? And what do people need before or after they work with you? And then what are the services they need while they work with you? Or again, before or after they work with you that you could be an affiliate for. So the easiest spot to start with passive income would be affiliate marketing. And Mm -hmm. let's take a web designer uh, as an example, right? If I'm a web designer, I I need my client to sign up for hosting. I need Mm -hmm. them to buy a domain. There could be an opportunity where I need them to buy like graphic packs or something Mm -hmm. like that. And I can be an affiliate for all of these things. And so I make a cut of what I send them to purchase, which is just like, duh, why Mm -hmm. why would you not do that? Um, So that would be like the easiest place to start. Otherwise, creating a digital product or a course on the front end or the back end of when they work Mm -hmm. with you. So let's say you're a copywriter and you, you know, you really need people to be really clear on who they're talking to, Mm -hmm. what their mission is, how they're trying to get somebody from point A to point Z in their sales copy. You could sell a pack that goes for $27, $47, whatever, that walks them through, here's how to you know, here's how to figure all this out. Here's how to do all of this. Here's a sheet that you fill out when you're done. And then they will come to you with their homework done and Mm -hmm. you made money, right? So like that is never a bad thing. Um, Also on the back end of that, let's say you are, again, a copywriter and after they work with you, they need to build out a sales page. So Mm -hmm. maybe you work with a graphic designer and you actually have a sales page template for lead pages, click funnels, it doesn't matter. Like one of those mm-hmm. softwares and you can sell it to them. Like, Hey, I have this click, this um, sales page template. It is literally built for the way I wrote your copy. Here you go. So anything that happens before or after is a great place to start as well as affiliate marketing. I hope everybody was paying attention because you just uh, spit out a lot of great ideas, but I'll <laughs> put a summary in the show notes because that was awesome. Yeah, I'm glad. And- I don't know if this is helpful for everybody listening, but I know like as a designer, I don't make my own templates yet, but I customize 
clients' templates for them as a service. And so I'm an affiliate for some of the other designers who sell the templates so that if I point someone to a shop and they pick a template from there for me to customize, I can actually get a little bit of affiliate income from that. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's, we, we, I think sometimes we overthink, you know, Mm -hmm. like what we can or can't or what should or whatever be doing. Um, But also I don't want to negate the fact that you can replace yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to teach a course on how to be a graphic designer, right, you could teach other people how to do what you do, or you could teach a course on how to actually design your social media graphics. And then you could work yourself out of a job, right? Like you can do these things too, but I always like to tell people to start with the beginning or the end of the process. And that way Mm -hmm. you're literally, it literally works into your service, you know? So it's not, it's not hard and it's not hard for the customer either. Awesome. And I know you're always really good about talking about stuff like this, but so like once people choose what they want to do and they get started, they'll probably run into some obstacles after that. And so Just as you've been teaching this over the years, what are some common obstacles that you've seen people face? Yeah. So I would say the two biggest ones are tech and actually selling the thing. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, tech and marketing, I guess, would be the Mm -hmm. biggest things. So with tech, I need to just say, like, you can find anything on YouTube or Google. Like, Mm -hmm. literally everything is there. And if it's not, find somebody who's doing what you're trying to do and just reach out and ask them. I have Mm -hmm. people reach out to me on Instagram literally every day, probably. Like, how did you do this? Or how is this set up? Or what program do you use for this? And I am happy to help. I'm happy to point Mm -hmm. them in the right direction. Half the time I point them to an affiliate link, right? So it's, it's one of those things where... You can figure out the tech. It is very figure outable. And if you can't mm-hmm. figure it out, if you're someone who's like, I don't touch tech with a 10 foot pole, which I understand, mm-hmm. um, hire it out, you know, like take on an extra client this month and try and hire out what you can't figure out or what is really hard for you. Right. Mm-hmm. And then as far as the marketing goes, as far as the sales go, what happens with affiliate or not affiliate mark, passive income. There we go. What happens mm-hmm. with passive income, but also especially for the service providers is mm-hmm. service providers. You guys don't have to have that big of an audience to make a really big income, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a lot of word of mouth. It's a lot of like past clients coming back. It's a lot of, you know, networking in that way. And so you may have zero people on an email list and be making six figures. And that is yeah. totally doable and, and is a very normal thing. But with a passive product, so a digital product, an online course, things like that, you do have to have people there to who want to buy it, right? And so that's where, like, while you're building it out, you can absolutely be building your audience at the same time and mm-hmm. be building it in a way where they're ready to buy whatever it is from you. So I would say those two are the biggest struggles. And the biggest advice there is build your audience before you're ready to sell your passive thing. And you don't have to have a huge audience. I had a client one time who um, was coming out of a service and a very high end service. Mm -hmm. She was charging like $10,000 to go and consult with a certain group of people, a very small niche. Okay. Mm -hmm. And she was charging this and she like went to started wanting to create a course and She had like, we spent a couple of months and she ended up with like 250 people in her audience. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was it. I mean, that that's not that many people, right? She ended up with 250 people in her audience and she sold 50 
of a thousand dollar course. She had a $50,000 course launch with only 250 people in her audience. And so you can absolutely have really good results with a small audience, but you definitely need to be building that up as you go. Yeah, that's really, really good advice. And we kind of just touched on this with that, um, because you know, you were saying like, if you feel like you can't do the tech yourself, hire it out. And I think you're really smart about making decisions like that, or like you wanted a studio, so you bought a studio, but then it didn't quite work out how you hoped, but you found a way to still like get your money back and then move on. Yeah. So how, how do you go about like making decisions like that? And I think you're also like more seasoned than some of the people listening here, so I'd Love to hear your perspective on how you problem solve in your business. Yeah. So I am, I'm a natural problem solver. That is not something that I struggle with. You know, um, I am very much so someone who's going to figure it out. And I think a lot of that is just my mm-hmm. personality, the way I grew up, that kind of thing. But more than anything, it's, it's not having excuses and not, thinking there's no way out. There's always a way to Mm -hmm. figure it out. Like there's always a way. And so you have to really think through all of your options and be willing to do whatever it takes to overcome Mm -hmm. that problem. Right. So your example with my store or my studio. So I rented a studio and it was like, I think like 17 or $1,800 a month. So not cheap, right? Like a pretty, pretty decent amount of money. And it was huge and it was beautiful and I loved it so much, but it was right on the street. And I didn't think Mm -hmm. about that. I don't know. My brain just did not go there when I was renting the studio. And it was an old building and it was right on our like downtown area. And so it was very, very loud. There would be times I was recording podcasts in there. And I mean, we were having to do way more editing than we ever had to do with me here Mm -hmm. in my home office because here, I mean, there might be a noise occasionally, but it's not right up in my window. And so it was very loud and it got to be where it was like actually bogging down our process. So I was like, okay, we need to get rid of the studio. But I signed a three-year lease, which I could probably get out of, but I feel like I would have been like a little bit of a turd, Mm -hmm. you know, for trying to get out of a three-year lease. But then also I you know, didn't want to keep paying for this three-year lease and not using the building. Also, it is very hard to rent things here. It is not an easy thing to just be like, oh, I'm going to sublease it or I'm going to sublet it Mm -hmm. Um, because that's not, there's not an endless supply of businesses wanting to rent a 1700 square foot building, you know? And so I was like, okay, so how can I, how can I make this work? I need to do, I need to check a few boxes. One, I need to make up the money I'm spending per month on the lease. And two, I need to be able to offload this. I need to be able to sell it. Mm-hmm. And so essentially that's what I did. I was like, okay, I could start a vendor driven business that they pay me rent to be in here and I get a commission of their sales, right? Mm-hmm. And that will pay my rent and, and my staff. And then when I get a couple of months under my belt, I can sell it. And that's exactly what I did. Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of like really thinking through what are the most important things that need to come out of this decision, right? Mm -hmm. And thinking through all of the possible ways you can do that. And if you're not someone who's good at seeing opportunities or seeing things like that, then maybe get yourself a coach or someone you can consult with when you say like, okay, I really need to make this decision. But you know, I get really hung up in decision-making because I totally understand that there's a lot of people who do that, Mm -hmm. but that is not something I struggle with. So have you ever taken the Colby assessment? No. What's that? 
So it's a personality mm-hmm. test essentially, but it's more of like a corporate one. Okay. So it's spelled K-O-L-B-E. Mm-hmm. And I think it is paid, but it's not expensive. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It splits your it splits your strengths into okay. like four categories. Mm-hmm. And I forget what all of the categories are, but one of them is quick start. So mm-hmm. like how how much are you someone who makes a decision and runs with it? And mm-hmm. the highest you can possibly score is a nine. Mm-hmm. And I am a nine what? on a quick start. Because if I make a decision, I'm gone. And okay. and I can make decisions really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I made the decision to flip my studio into a store in the middle of June last mm-hmm. year. And within two weeks had the store open. What? <laughs> so, yeah. so it's it's very much so like, I that is not something I struggle with. Mm-hmm. So if you are, really think about what needs to come out of this. What are all the possible opportunities? And if worse comes to worse, not if worse comes to worse, because it's not a bad thing, go mm-hmm. find somebody con- to consult with. Go find yeah. a coach, go find a consultant, because somebody else can likely see mm-hmm. what you're not seeing way better. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard the quote, you can't read the label from inside the jar. Mm-hmm. I have no clue who said that. I, I mm-hmm. get quotes so mixed up in my head, but it's so true. When we're trying to figure out something and we're like looking at it ourselves, we can't figure it out because mm-hmm. we're in it, you know? So sometimes we need outside help. Yeah, totally agree. Like certain things I can make a quick decision on, but then other things I get hung up on. And then that's when I'll go to my mentor and be like, what do you think I should do? Yes. And that's great that you have that, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's always nice to get an outside perspective if you're feeling stuck. But also, I know I keep saying you're a great teacher, but you really are because like you don't struggle with decision making. But I love that you can still walk someone who does struggle with it through ways to work through the Yeah. And I always try and be very honest when it's Mm -hmm. something I don't struggle with. I'm like, listen, this is not a struggle I have, but here's how I think I would handle it (laughs) or how I've coached people through handling it or have seen Mm -hmm. friends handle it. Right. Like I'm always, Mm -hmm. I'm aware we all have our own strengths and our our weaknesses. And I've seen people get in those moments of like, decision paralysis, you know, and they literally can't move forward. Mm-hmm. And I've had those moments, but they're just way less than I think most people have. Yeah, I don't know. You mentioned the Colby assessment. I don't think I've taken that. I took a management class in college and like the first day she made us take an assessment and I don't remember what it was called. It was something corporate, but I think it was different than mm-hmm. that. It was like you have one strength and we all got put into a category based on that strength. And it was like, creativity and like analyzing numbers. Yeah. I have no idea what that was called now. Yeah. Well, the Colby is similar. So it basically assesses you. I think it's four, it's either four or five like categories and you score on that. Mm -hmm. And one of them is quick start. One of them's implementation, Mm -hmm. which I was also really high on. And then the other, the other two, I was like bottom of the bucket, but I don't Mm -hmm. remember what they, I don't remember what they are. Yeah. I was like, I was so most of the people in the class were business majors. I was a graphic design major, so I thought mine was going to be like in the creativity product creation category, but it was actually in the like leadership wanting everybody's opinion to be heard. Oh, like, I love that situation. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, you, you made me remember that. <laughs> That's fun. Yes, but take the Colby. It's a fun one. Okay, <laughs> and I'll put that link in the show notes for everybody too. And so my last question is one that I ask everybody. And for some people, it's a hard question. And for other people, they know right away. But what's one thing that you wish people knew about you that might not be obvious from your Instagram feed? 
Oh goodness. I am so open. Like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know that there is much that I don't just like share. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm such an open book. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm probably goofier Mm -hmm. than I come across online. I think if you watch my YouTube videos or my stories, Mm -hmm. you can definitely see that. Um, but I feel like maybe sometimes on the feed, it doesn't get it doesn't come across. Mm -hmm. So I'm definitely like, I don't take myself too seriously. I make a lot of, um, that's what she said. Jokes. I cuss a lot. Those Mm -hmm. kinds of things, you know, um, I say, I say all the time, like my husband is a Baptist preacher, but I cuss like a sailor (laughs) and like, it is very, it is very funny dynamic, you know? Mm -hmm. And he, I'm sure it drives him crazy, but we've been together for so long that like he doesn't Mm -hmm. care anymore. But yeah, I guess, I guess the fact that I'm like super free and like, fun loving and goofy most of the time. Yeah, that's awesome. And I always do think it's interesting because, you know, uh, you can always tell a little bit, at least I think like when people are more just like that's that that's who they are. So they're just that super candid person on social media, too, because it's almost like you just like you don't put on a filter. So you're just going to show up how you show up. Exactly. And it's really funny. I'll meet people at conferences or, you know, even like this, like on a, on a video call mm-hmm. and they'll be like, you're exactly how you are online. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know how else to be. <laughs> like, yeah. that's, just, that's just how I am. And I think that that is a really good thing because then mm-hmm. you don't go into situations and you're like, people expect you to be one way and you're a completely different way, you know? Yeah. I'm kind of like that too. Like I'm more on the shy, quiet side, but I'm literally like this all the time. Yeah. Like my friends and family are just used to it. Totally. I mean, I think it doesn't matter what the personality is. We just have to show it like authentically and candidly on social media. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we're also in the age of building personal brands and mm-hmm. it, how can it be a personal brand if we're not being personal. You know what yeah. I mean? And so I always tell people like embrace your personality. It doesn't have to be the same as mm-hmm. mine or this person's or that person's, but embrace it and show it off because people are going to love you for it. Yeah. That's great advice. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've really enjoyed talking to you. And just to close this out, will you let everybody know how they can connect with you further? So you can find me. Um, Instagram is probably the best way. That's my most preferred like active platform day to day. And my username there is just my name, Jessica Stansberry. And then YouTube is also just my name, Jessica Stansberry. And then everything is kind of housed on my website. If you forget any of that, you can just go to heyjessica.com. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much again. Thank you for having me. Wow, that was good stuff, right? To keep the inspiration coming, hit play on another episode. For show notes and links mentioned, head to myapalmerdesigns.com slash podcast. Thanks for being here.